to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today we have a fantastic guest for you, Ashley Tyson, and he is an Opportunity Zone Sherpa. He is an attorney and entrepreneur focused on helping real estate investors reduce their tax liability. And that's what we like to hear. That's what we like to learn about. How do we save and how do we implement some of these tax saving strategies so we can save more as we work and we earn more. So Ashley, welcome so much for being on the show today. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. Very much appreciate the opportunity to be a guest on the show and appreciate what you're doing out there, getting the word out. Awesome. Ashley, so let's start off by if you can give us a little bit more about your background and your focus. So I like to call myself a reformed attorney. I try to practice as little as possible, but I am an attorney and I've been doing this for 22 years. I started out in a big firm as a litigator. And after it had sufficiently sucked my soul, I set up a company to do some impact investing. So I started doing real estate investing back in 2005 with a company that I started and uh, flipped houses, wholesale houses, got into the mobile home park business and that kind of thing. Around that same time, I went in-house as a commercial real estate tenant and common sponsor. And so we did tick syndications and we raised funds on Wall Street and that kind of thing. When the commercial real estate market collapsed in 2008, 2009, I went back into practicing law and uh, started doing M&A work where we did mergers and acquisitions. And we helped Main Street level companies kind of get Wall Street level representation as they did their business sales. And we created a software product to do that. I sold that company in 2017 to help business owners put more hard-earned money in their pocket and pay less money in taxes. And found out about Opportunity Zones in 2018. And I never looked back. So as we were looking at how we could best kind of work our magic inside of Opportunity Zones, I said, hey, why don't we take that same principle? Why don't we take that same concept of bringing Wall Street level sophistication down to Main Street so that we can allow everybody a chance to participate in this program? And so that's what we did. We repurposed the software package into a form generation software for Opportunity Zones. We set up ozpros.com to be able to do that. Originally, the plan was to allow people to do it themselves. And we kind of had to cancel that because people didn't understand exactly the ins and the outs of what they needed to do. We set up a strategy call process as part of that to help them educate themselves. And so that kind of gave us the road and the path forward to become the full service advisory firm that we are. Is that we educate people, we help them get their opportunity funds and opportunities on businesses started. And then we help them figure out how they're going to raise money and then work the compliance for the next 10 to 30 years, depending on you know how ultimately long they hold the assets. Awesome. So Ashley, let's start with the basics. Opportunity zones. What is it? Yeah, <laughs> let's exactly. share with the listeners. What are they? So they were created by the Tax Cut and Jobs Act of 2017. And it was three pages of legislation that you literally, I think, is going to change the course of history. And I got to hand it to them. It's really the first 
governmentally the legislation that has actually gotten the attention of private capital. And so in three pages of legislation, not only did they get the private capital's attention, but they got private capital off the sidelines, right? They got them invested and they made it patient. So the way that they did that is that they said that any capital gain, right? So if you have a capital gain, whether it's long-term or short-term, and you invest it into a qualified opportunity fund, then you get to defer that capital gain or paying the taxes on that capital gain until December 31st, 2026. And then they put these little mechanisms in there that if you were invested for five years prior to 2026, you got a 10% reduction in your taxes. If you were invested for seven years, you got a 15% reduction in taxes. And so that is what got their capital off of the sidelines. Now, both of those incentives have expired because they termed out in 2021. There's currently some legislation that's probably going to extend those. So people will be able to get back in there and grab it. But the real big benefit is that after you hold your investment in your fund for 10 years, you get a step up in basis to fair market value. And that's really significant because it not only eliminates capital gains taxes on whatever you invest in, but it also eliminates depreciation recapture. So for all of your folks out there, if they're not doing cost segregation studies and taking advantage of depreciation recapture, number one, they should be. And we can help with that because we do a lot of that. But then number two is that anybody who's done that, when they sell, they get that gnarly tax bill for the income recapture. Well, opportunity zones completely eliminate that. So when you combine the ability to harness effectively tax-free income through the depreciation coupled in with not having to recapture that on the back end, it makes things extremely powerful from a return standpoint almost a 3% difference on an IRR basis over about 10 years. And that could be even more based upon how much your thing appreciates and how much you're able to exit for. And so in real estate investing world, a 3% difference in a cap rate is nirvana. I mean, that's mind-blowing. And so that's why we're really excited about this program and why we jumped in with everything we had. So with Opportunity Zones, what can be considered as opportunity zones? Like, What are some of the different things that you look at that can be considered as an opportunity zone and what qualifies it to be such? Yeah. So when they passed the legislation, they gave the governors the ability to designate up to 25% of their low-income census tracts as opportunity zones. And so those tracts got designated in May of 2018. And so effectively, you just got to search and see if where your property is, is in an opportunity zone. And there's a map at opportunitydb.com. So opportunitydatabase.com slash map. And you can go in and you can literally type in your address and you can tell whether it's inside of an opportunity zone or not. And so the other kind of key piece about this is that it's not just for real estate, but you can actually have operating businesses that will qualify for investment if they're located in an opportunity zone. And so... Once you look at the map, you get an understanding that, man, these things are everywhere, right? So each state has up to 25% of their low-income census tracts is one. So there's 8,700 of them total across the United States and in the territories. And basically, the whole island of Puerto Rico is an opportunity zone, which is pretty cool. I'm actually going down there next week. So for opportunity zones, is there anything that you would do that would disqualify it as an opportunity zone though itself? Well, there's certain compliance things that you have to do, right? So like when you're buying a piece of property, you have to be able to either have it be original use or you have to substantially improve it. 
So if it's ground up construction on green fields, you're totally good to go. Or if you're going to demolish something and build something back up, you're going to be fine. Or if it's abandoned building and then you can repurpose it, that's going to work. But otherwise, if it's an existing improvement, you're going to have to take the value of what the building is worth and you're going to have to be able to double that plus a dollar. So if you're buying a property for $250,000 and let's say that the building itself is worth $150,000, right? So the land is $100,000. You get to exclude the land, but you're going to have to put another $150,001 into it in improvements. Now, you could do that with increasing square footage, adding solar to it. If it's an Airbnb, you could put your beds, you know, your TVs, all that kind of stuff into it. But the key is you're going to have to do substantial improvement. The reason why they wanted that is because they wanted good things to happen inside of these opportunity zones. They didn't want people land-baking deals. So once you identify whether or not something is within an opportunity zone... What are the steps that you need to do after that to take advantage of the things that Opportunity Zones can provide for you? Yeah, absolutely. So, well, the first thing you need is you need a capital gain. And unfortunately, the program required that. And so I know they were trying to attract capital and they were trying to pull money out of the stock market and out of the appreciated stock market at the time. But unfortunately, because of that, you actually have to have a capital gain. And so... There's lots of ways, and that can be capital gain from anything, sale of business, sale of crypto, sale of stock, sale of real estate, whatever. But you take that capital gain, and then you put it into a fund. Now, you can invest. There's lots of syndicated funds that are out there. And so you could put it into a syndicated fund, or you could create your own fund, which can be a partnership that's just... Or an LLC that's just taxed as a partnership. So you drop your money into the fund, and then you have typically between 6 months and a year to put your money to work. And you can either do that directly into the property, or you can set up your own qualified opportunity zone business, which once again is just a partnership. And then you can go and do your actual project. And you got 31 months to actually spend the money and get your project done at that point. So the great thing about this is that it gives you roughly almost four years for you to actually get a project done. So it gives you lots of lead time and runway to be able to make it happen. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. What are, if any, barriers to entry to be able to set up an Opportunity Zone fund? Well... Now that they know me, there's none, right? <laughs> you know, the barrier to entry is just paying that fee. And we've got it really, really down low. And particularly for your listeners, we got a little bit of a discount at the end that I can direct people over to. So yeah, I would say that the 
understanding the nuances of the program is probably the biggest barrier to entry. And historically, then the way that you got that education is you went and talked to one of these white shoe firms that were out there that really knew the program and you wrote a big check to them. Well, we've tried to eliminate that. So OZ Pros was literally set up in order to make that to not have to happen. And so we've got packages to where we'll set up your opportunity fund and your opportunity zone business. We'll give you all the information that you need about how you need to move the money, how you need to buy the property. And then we have an ongoing interaction with folks. We've got a compliance call that we do once a week where we run through exactly what you need to do process-wise in order to make sure that you're good to go. And so the barrier to entry is that there's a little bit of capital. And so from your setup to your ongoing maintenance. So we charge $6,000 to set up the package. And then you know, you're going to have to file your tax returns and that kind of thing. And your ongoing compliance of what would be over and above just doing a regular LLC is probably going to run you about $1,500 to $2,000 a year. So if you add all of that up over the course of the 10 years, you're like, all right, is it really worth doing that? Is it really worth me going through the brain damage of this? It all depends on what your back end gain is going to be. So, if you're investing into a property, and let's call it a $250,000 property, and you anticipate that that thing's going to double in value over 10 years, which is just a 7% IRR, right? If you calculate that out, which if you're doing the investment or your listeners are doing it, it should probably be even be more than that. But that means that they're going to effectively make $250,000 worth of capital gain. Well, if you look at what taxes are going to be on that, there's no question that it justifies the expenses because you're going to not pay those taxes on the back end. And we calculated it out and it ends up becoming around... If you're going to end up thinking that you're going to make around $150,000 to $160,000 worth of gain, then it justifies the expenses of going through the process. And I don't know anybody that's going to do a real estate deal if they're not anticipating making more than one hundred fifty dollars to $160,000 worth of gain, certainly over 10 years. So you talked a little bit about the nuances and some of the terms or some of the strategies within Opportunity Zones that are a little bit more nuanced. What is the one most common or the biggest nuance that you need to understand as we're getting into something like this? Yeah, I think that it's that substantial improvement piece. It's also the timing on when you have to move the money between your QOF and your Qualified Opportunity Fund and your Qualified Opportunity Zone business. And then once you put the money down into the Qualified Opportunity Zone business, that you need to have a working capital safe harbor business plan to cover that. But once again, that's included inside of our package. And we get people comfortable with being able to operate inside of those kind of bigger picture rules. So the key is make sure that you talk to a professional on the front end, because it's a fairly simple process relative like how you document it and how you actually get set up. But if you don't do it right and you don't do it in the correct entity in the correct process, it's really difficult to undo. And so that's, I think, the biggest nuance is get good advice and get it before you start. And I mean, that's kind of like everything, right? So consider the cost before you go to war, right? So what are some of the most common questions that you typically get as somebody engages in this process? So, you know, I've had over a thousand strategy calls with people from around the country, and we've set up over a thousand entities at this point as well. And I think that the most common one that comes in is how far back can I go? Like, what can I actually save on taxes? And the answer is anything within the last 180 days is easy. 
right? So that can be from a failed 1031 exchange. That can be from sale of stock. That could be from anything. If it was through a partnership or a K-1, I can actually go back to January 1st of the previous year. So if somebody came to me with a K-1 gain, a gain that was reported on a K-1, I could go all the way back to January 1st of 2021 with that gain and get them a deferral on that tax. And they could utilize that in order to move forward with their opportunity zone strategies. Got it. And then what is the biggest mistake that if you typically see that as they're looking to utilize a strategy that they commit as they're putting it together on their own? Yeah. So it's funny is that we're actually shooting the video of the top 10 things not to do right as it relates to your opportunity zone thing. The biggest one, and this is the biggest one, and I'm really glad you asked that question. Do not under any circumstances buy the property in your own individual name. Because people do that all the time because they're like, okay, well, I'm just going to buy it in my name. I'm going to get good financing with that. And then I'm going to convey it into my QOZB later on. You cannot do that because part, there's a related party rule that you cannot buy property from a related party. And if you've already bought it yourself, there's nothing I can do to fix that. Now, if you buy it in an LLC, a lot of times we can fix that. But do not buy it in your individual name. So if I could say that again, do not buy your you know, it's your property in your individual name. So that's one of them. The other one is, once again, just make sure that you get advice relative to structuring and how you're going to do it and kind of getting your game plan together ahead of time because that'll help save you lots of these headaches going forward. Do you foresee any changes in the political structure or any of the rules and regulations on opportunity zones coming up here in the near future? Well, that's a great question. So there's actually currently pending legislation to extend the program. So there's been lots of legislation introduced relative to try and kind of limit the program or repurpose it or whatever. And none of that has gotten legs. The most recent legislation that's been introduced is not only bipartisan, but it's bicameral. And it's in a big way. There's like 40 people that have signed on to it. And that's huge. And it's kind of crazy because in the context of how heated and how divisive our political system is right now, this is one of the things that they can actually agree on. Hey, this is actually really working. And so the cool thing is, is that I think that that's indicative of that if we see anything happen, it's probably just going to be for the good. It's going to extend the program. It's going to provide additional benefits and that kind of thing. I was on a working call with the Novogratic guys with uh, some of the other kind of leaders in the industry yesterday talking about stuff that we could do to positively influence that legislation. And one of the things that if any of your listeners are listening to and they get excited about Opportunity Zones is to go out and actually advocate for it. It's just like anything that you're passionate about. And so we've set up a whole advocacy kind of you know informational thing as well. But I think that to the extent that anything's going to happen to it, it's actually going to be good. The legislation currently is going to extend the program out for two years, and it's going to pick back up that those additional tax reduction benefits that I talked about if you're invested for five or seven years. And then it's also going to create a billion-dollar dynamism fund that's going to allow people to pursue grants for projects that people really want to see. And so I think that that's going to be a really cool opportunity as well. So for you then, Ashley, what are you most excited about next? And what is your next focus? So I really like the operating business side of the house of what can happen in this. And I think that that's kind of the most untapped market here. 
So we are exploring how we can assist with that, both from a technical assistance side of the house and also from helping people raise money, potentially even raising a fund ourselves that can make kind of lead and angel investments into deals, but certainly continuing to expand our footprint to educate people and to allow people to participate in this. One of the things that you know is a big initiative of that right now is that we're showing people that actually have properties in opportunity zones right now that might not necessarily be eligible for a substantial improvement, how they can become a co-working facility and they can make this opportunity to, to become an opportunity zone business available to their tenants. And so we've got a package out there right now and we're getting a lot of traction with that. So if any of your listeners are in that category, we'd love to talk to them and we'd love to show them how they can differentiate their real estate in the marketplace from their competitors by educating people about opportunity zones and we can help them provide the educational system for that. And then they can... Ideally, they're able to then kind of channel to maybe even put together a fund, which would make them unbelievably attractive for tenants. Fantastic. Thank you, Ashley. So for you, Ashley, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Real estate's in my blood. So my family has been in the real estate business since the 1800s. And I, one of the things I'd love to do, and I love to do this on my downtime, this is my hobby of mine, is to just go out and look at property. And I think that it's brought a certain degree of peace and confidence associated with the fact that I can put my feet on something. I love to be able to put my feet on something and to be able to see it, see the vision and know that it's real. And so I think that that's kind of impacted, probably been the most positive impact in my life. And I've seen that through it relative to the wealth generation that it's done for me as well. And if there is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? Never sell. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least don't sell the good stuff. Right. And so if I could go back and do it again, particularly on the stuff that I've owned and flipped and that kind of thing in Charlotte, I wish that I would have held on to some of those assets. I guess could have, should have, would have, right? <laughs> and so then what is the one thing that sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? I think that this is true that it sets successful people apart in everything, and that's discipline. So make a plan and stick to the plan and work the plan. And you got to make variations to the plan based upon what's happening. But the key is, is that you have a plan and that you're disciplined about executing on it. So go out, make your acquisitions, figure out what your niche is, and then consistently execute on that plan and become the best in the world at it. And you're going to do extremely well. Awesome. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing a little bit more about Opportunity Zones and what we can see in the near future coming up with it, different changes in the legislation, and then also ways we can incorporate that as part of strategies as we're looking at real estate ourselves. So Ashley, for our listeners also out there who are interested in learning more about you and what you're doing, where is the best place that they can go? If they go to ozpros.com slash podcast, we've actually got a special deal just for your listeners for them to be able to get discounted strategy calls and educational products and access to all of the different products that we have on a discounted basis. And we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to help you learn more about Opportunity Zones. If you're interested in pursuing them and making your deal go, we can help you get that going. And then we can help you continue to keep it in compliance as well. So looking forward to hearing from your listeners and being able to engage with them and help them build generational wealth for them and their families. 
Thank you very much, Ashley. I appreciate all of your time today. Thank you, Eileen. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.